and then they show up, and then here he is, and we're like, woohoo! So, so thank God. And uh, Casey just walked in the door with his family, and so humble, and we just didn't know. And then we hear him play and sing, and then you just think, still, still humble, just so humble, and that's why it's so special. Amen. And so, uh, hey, find First Corinthians in chapter seven. And uh, I've tried to preach my way through this as quick as I could. <laughs> I'm ready to move on. But, uh, <laughs> but we have to deal with it because that's how we do things at Woodlake. Pastors, I'm an expository preacher. And uh, it's good for the preacher because I can't skip over things that are uncomfortable or hard or uh, whatever. Today is going to be just a, a little bit like that as well. Uh, still, still a great encouraging message, but these are just practical things in life that we can all deal with. And so remember this, uh, <clears throat> the context of this, this passage in all of the book is that the church there, many of these people, were the, most of them really were being saved out of a pagan culture. They were coming into the church. So Paul was having to teach them the practical things. And so, and as I've learned in my preaching, most times when you deal with the practical things, people get the most out of it. Amen? And so sometimes the preacher likes to talk about deep theology and all those things, but this is just about as practical as it can get. So in verse number one, I spent last week introducing you really to just this topic and telling you so many different things about uh, what I think and know. And you're going to find that the, the places in the Gospels where Jesus dealt with marriage and divorce and all of those kinds of things, those, that different topic, Paul's going to add to a lot of the things that the Lord said. And uh, where did he get those things? Well, he got them from the Lord, and Paul was inspired. And so I, I want to teach you all these things. Paul, I, I would say, would be more like your pastor. I, listen, I know the theology. I know all the truth. I know what the Scripture says about what we're supposed to do. But I'm also a pastor. I have to deal with things and people when those things fall apart. And so we have to pick up from where we left off. And that's where uh, I really think a lot of this, in my mind, revolves around in Matthew uh, chapter 19 and verse 12, where Jesus says, these things I've said unto you, but the disciples said, Lord, if this is the truth, who in the world should get married? So then after that, he, Jesus says, well, uh, this is tough, but this is the truth. But at the same time, this is written for those who can accept it and some can't accept it. You know, the Lord says it's not good for man not to be, it says not good for man to be alone. And so, but at the same time, Jesus says there were people that are called to live by themselves. And so we deal with all of these things. And so, so last week we, we talked about this. Uh, and now in response, verse number one, to the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. And so Paul is really was referring probably more so here to immorality than anything else. And then he says, but because uh, of sexual immorality, it is common and so common. Each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife and likewise the wife to the husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. <clears throat> In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his body, but to his wife. Do not deprive each other into, with intimacy except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. <clears throat> and I say the following as a concession, not as a command. And so here Paul is saying, 
and this really does my heart good because there's places here in the rest of this chapter that I'm going to speak to you from experience. I don't have a passage of scripture necessarily to put on it, but I'm going to say to you from a spiritual perspective of seeing these things, I'm going to tell you the best thing that you possibly can do. But once Paul says this and it goes into scripture, then it is scripture. Amen? It's inspired, authoritative once it's there. But Paul says, I wish that all people were like me, but each has his own gift from God. One person in this way and another in that way. So Paul was making concession and Paul probably not being married. And this is really the context of all of this. We're talking about honoring God with our bodies. And Paul is saying uh, with this, if you look back at chapter 6 and verse 29, Paul says, you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So what we, this whole topic and everything we're looking at is really glorifying God in our body. The first part of this is a little more extensive because it talks about marriage in and of itself. And then he talks about those who get widowed. He talks about the believer and the unbeliever being married. So uh, then he talks about virgins. And then literally, uh, one of the, the, the topics here I'm going to deal with is all of life situations. And then Paul just kind of blanket covers everything. And so we left off, uh, uh, I preached with you about all of these things on verse number one, really, and really gave you a pretty big introduction. But number two, Paul really deals with passion and immorality in the world. Now, uh, it, it's quite interesting. This doesn't mean that, uh, that you marry the first person that comes along. Paul is putting his stamp of approval on marriage. And by the way, uh, marriage was the first institution that God created before schools, even before the church. God brought Adam and Eve together and brought and made the first, made the first uh, family, the first institution. The Lord did that. And so it was, it was quite Beautiful that when I do a wedding, uh, if I'm allowed to do some of the ceremony, <laughs> it's uh, the first thing that I deal with is this institution is so important. It's the first thing that God created. And one of the reasons we, we think, I, I think there's more than one reason. People think, well, the Lord gave us marriage so that we can have godly seed and, and so that we can... Uh, you know, the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply. So in order for that to happen, we had to have Adam and Eve, the first couple, and had to have them married. So there, Paul is saying, there's nothing wrong with marriage. Marriage is a good thing. This is what we actually what we want. I also think that God gave us this relationship for simply for the reason of pleasure. Uh, for, for those of you that... Uh, are willing to think through this thing. You know that most, uh, many people that are single, uh, that doesn't interest them. They stay that way because of that. But many of them want to be married because they want children. They want posterity. They want, uh, they want to in, enter into not, uh, you know, uh, not losing your name, passing along your name and your family and being together. There's nothing more important uh, than your family. And so, uh, after all, God did start with a man and a woman. Amen? And so <clears throat> some would even say at times to me, say, well, you know, a pastor has to be married. Well, no, he doesn't. Actually, right here, it, you know, I had some of these old Reformed people and some of these old primitive Baptist pastors would just get in my face when I was single, and they say, you're not allowed to preach until you get married. I says, well, actually, Paul says right here in the Bible, 
in the Bible, Paul says, hey, I'd rather you be like I am. I'm celibate, and I'm giving my entire life to the kingdom of God. Someone who sacrifices all these pleasures and things to go to the mission field, that's a very special person. And so uh, Paul is just simply saying, let's have respect for that. Amen? The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. I want to tell you, there are some times that I like to be alone. You generally, by the time I get home, I like to be by myself. Somebody said, well, you're not saying very much. That's very unusual to you because you see me at my best, on my toes, out with the body of Christ, verbose, cutting up, uh, loving on you. But by 5 or 6 o'clock, I've used all my words, <clears throat> and I want to be left alone. Y'all all right? And uh, Sunday afternoon, I like to take a nap. And so... If you call me at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, hi, this is Brother Jerry. Leave me a message. That's what you're going to get because I cut the phone down. I cut it off. Uh, I think Sunday afternoon naps are sacred. Y'all all right? Marriage is not so much finding the right person as it is being the right person. I agree with that about 60%. Some people would say, well, I'm going to be the best person I can be so that I can get a spouse. Well, that, that's fine. But you may be the best person you can be, and you will settle. And I want to tell you, if you're single, uh, one of the things that used to kill me all the time was people who were married telling me, you need to be married. No, why should I be miserable like you? <laughs> you, you married the wrong person, and you're miserable. I want to marry the right person, and I'm special. And I, I've known some people who were just too cotton-picking picky. But on the other hand, I'm going to say, look, you it's okay to be picky. It's, it's okay not to settle. But at the same time, if you're, a, if, you know, I, I want to tell you, listen to me. I don't mean anything ugly about it. Just listen, you can get a 10 and be very unhappy. You can get something that's a little damaged and be the most happy person on the world. Your pastor actually believes in chemistry. Y'all all right? You see, a person that you fall in love with, you see, used to tell people, don't, don't date people you won't marry. Dating leads to love, and love leads to marriage. Don't marry for money. It's okay to go looking for love where money's at, but don't marry for money. <laughs> <Y'all>, <laughs> that was a joke, all right? So, but we come to this place where uh, I think we need to be careful. Now, don't settle, but I want to tell you something. Uh, if you fall in love with somebody and there's that chemistry and that person's got some problems or a little bit of this or that, don't discount that person because they don't look like you think they should look. They, they, they came from a different background or whatever it may be. I want to tell you, chemistry is a big deal. And I want to promise you something. Last Sunday I said, well, if you have a good marriage, reach over and take the hand of the person that you most love in this entire world. You know what I saw? Some people reached over and grabbed their spouse's hand and they turned their head and looked at them and said, I love you. And some of you didn't reach at all. You, you with me? I want to tell you, when, when a man sees his girl coming home, she comes in the door, it ought to get you excited. See, I still believe in flirting and all those kinds of things. And I, I think Paul is saying right here, it's okay to be married. Now look in verse number 3, Paul talks about intimacy. This is about as intimate as it's going to get from the pulpit right here. Paul uses two words uh, to describe this relationship. There's absolutely no way that you can not understand when you read this what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about conjugal rights. Literally, the, he, the Greek words right here s- literally means to be kind to your spouse. And listen very carefully to me. If you're single and you do not want to have intimacy, don't get married. 
because here Paul tells us this is part of it. And it is a beautiful thing, and it is something that we share together. The two Greek words actually means, one means to, a philo means to, to owe, to be under obligation. And Paul is telling us this, why? Why do you honor God with your body? This is a way to honor God with your body, by pleasing your spouse. And it'll keep your spouse at home. It is one of, it is one of the things, one of the reasons for divorce. When people come to talk to me about divorce, they failed in this area. Usually communication, there's money involved, or someone is using intimacy as a leverage, or there is no intimacy. And so if you're married now, but Paul says, obviously, the other word is a, is a word for goodwill or kindness. Apodidomi, it means to yield or to pay or to give a gift to someone. And so I, I just want to tell you, I just think it's still pretty cool <clears throat> when a husband and wife can flirt and do all those things during the day and, and set aside time for themselves. Now, any way you translate it, Paul is really uh, saying that this is a benevolent act, and that's the way it should be. That's the way it should look like. Now, I am not saying that a person has a right. Now, you hear your pastor very well. I'm not saying that your spouse has the right to demand something from you. I'm not saying that. Um, it, I'm not saying that you're required to do things that you don't want to do or that gross you out. Or if uh, your spouse were to bring uh, someone else into this or some type of entertainment involved in this, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I really still believe that flirting and romance is still a good thing. I think when you see your spouse... And listen to me, guys, you can make your wife beautiful. You just got to know how to do it. You got to know how to tell her and encourage her and pray for her and walk with her and, and care for her. Ladies, instead of criticizing your husband, build him up. You, you, you'll make a man out of him, I'm just telling you. And you, you, will, you will come together as two wonderful people. And you just say, and I've had people tell me, Pastor, why do you preach this kind of stuff? We're past that age. You might be, but there's a lot of senior adults that aren't. I'm looking for an amen. <clears throat> I, when I do premarital counseling, I talk about this, flirting. If you, fellas, if you'll learn several things here, it will help you. You all right? The first one's flirting. If you'll text her during the day, and you'll just come right out and say, let me just tell you something, that dress you had on Sunday, it was working for Daddy. Hubba, hubba. <laughs> you all right? That goes a long way. That's my sweetie right there. When she comes, some of y'all are blushing. She said, girl, when you was in the kitchen washing dishes, I'm going to tell you something. You look as sexy as I've ever seen. I'm telling you. It's called flirting. Some of y'all have lost that. Remember that? Remember when you go over to your girl's house and you stay half the night? You get in the car to go home and call her. Hey, girl. <laughs> and now you call and say, you got the kids put up. If you don't, I ain't coming home till you get them put in the bed. <laughs> you you got to fix that. All right, number two. I'm going to keep my encouragement. Encouragement. You know, one of the biggest problems I have counseling with people is they don't encourage one another. They, they use every opportunity they can to push somebody down. Don't do that. Encourage your spouse. Wink at them. Let me ask you something. Boys, when's the last time you winked at your girl? 
When's the last time she did something that's just a characteristic of hers that nobody else knows about but you? And you look over at her and you go, that's my girl right there. In front of your children, your children need to see you kiss your wife. They need to see you hug her and show affection without seeking anything else. They need that. Your kids need to know that you love mama and mama love you. Amen? They need to see that you care for one another because here's what's going to happen. They're going to mimic what they see you do when they get married. And then here's, here's another thing. This is the most important thing. And, and the boys are going to get nervous right here. Some of the girls too. Pray with your spouse. A ladies, if I tell you the truth, say amen. A woman loves to see her man vulnerable. All right. Okay. You start praying with your wife, you won't even have to flirt. You think I'm kidding, but God made it that way. Because she knows that you're admitting need before God. And y'all pray together. Look, you don't have to pray for two hours. But prayer together is exciting. It's wonderful. It Listen, when I talk to my young couples when I do premarital counseling, I ask them what is the most intimate thing you can do. You know what they're going to say. You know what I tell them? That's not the most intimate thing you can do. Prayer is the most intimate thing you can do together. Because you've asked in vulnerability, you lay in your soul out to Jesus Christ in front of your spouse. As a matter of fact, prayer is so important in the marriage relationship, in the intimacy of a relationship. I counsel young couples who are, have passed dating and are in courtship not to pray with each other privately. You hear me? Because it because prayer draws you so close together, other things happen by accident. And so we, we take care of that. Now, for married couples, I'm going to give you one thing here and then we're going to move on. I'm going to give you, this is kind of premarital counseling for married people too as well. Uh, the three D's, y'all ready? Y'all remember the three D's? I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to make you say them out. But I was so proud when Kevin Wilhite came here, and he's one of our Wales missionaries. And he came up, and he thanked me from the pulpit. He said, Brother Jerry, thank you. Through our marriage counseling, we learned two things that we've held on to. Number one, I teach the couples, love will never keep you together. Commitment keeps you together. Because you're going to wake up one morning and look over at this person that made you la uh, mad last night, and you're going to want to kill them. And you're going to say, if I could drop you off somewhere this morning, I would drop you off. And it's pretty good by that afternoon. And so that, that's, that's one of those things. And then here's, and then, you know, so I say, love will, keep you to, love will not keep you together. Commitment keeps you together. Pray together. And then the three Ds. And Kevin Wilhite said, I still remember those things. He quoted them from right here. Here's the first one, dialogue daily. When you come in or she comes in and she's frustrated and she starts talking or he starts talking about work, that it, and you're thinking, oh, gosh, here we go again. Now, if it's every day and you just have a problem of complaining, no. You just need to get bopped on the head and cut it out. But when you're, you're always saying to your wife, communicate with me, communicate with me. When she starts talking to you, sit down. Dialogue daily. When she comes in, I'm going to tell you this. When she goes out and she's been gone for three or four hours, she comes in, 
Go help her get the groceries in. Go help. You're invite, she's invited you into her life. Take those opportunities to help get the groceries in. Help put them up. Help wash the dishes after supper. All of those things, that is family time. That is good stuff. And dialogue with her. Talk to her daily. Even if it's pillow talk. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Pillow talk is the best thing in the world. You, you get the, you, you're quiet. Nobody's interrupting you. You're about to fall asleep. And uh, i just give you a few other things. Read the Bible to your wife and let her guess where you're reading from. Get a devotional book. Do something. Make that connection. So dialogue daily, date weekly. You need some time away from the kids and everybody else. Get a babysitter, whatever it takes, go on a date. If you can afford it, depart quarterly. Put the fire back in there. Go have some fun, do some things, take a weekend, go to Pigeon Forge, go wherever, okay? Everybody's been surprised. I've never been to Pigeon Forge. So, so. so here we have this, you know, Paul is saying, don't deprive one another. You got to do life together. You married this girl. You married this boy. Spend some time together. Now, life situations interrupt these things. But, but do, the best, do the best that you can. In verse number 6 and 7, Paul, Paul goes a little further. He says, I say the following is a concession, not a command. I wish that everybody could be like I am. Paul simply just states this in, in the way of saying, uh, I'm going to give you some advice. I know that this is uh, it's not wrong to be married, but Paul is talking about literally about honoring God with our bodies. And so Paul just simply says, uh, if, if you want to stand up for Jesus, there's no greater calling than to sacrifice a spouse to serve the kingdom of God. That's the tops. And so it's a big deal. So here you have someone who's like thinking, well, I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. Your reward is great in heaven, I promise you. God knows you. Now, I'm going to give you these. These are 20 things. I'm going to go through these very quickly. Like I said, this is a very practical message. But the, I'm going to give you number 20 first. But these are causes of adultery causes of a a broken marriage we'll just call it that if we have to the first thing is to think it could never happen to me if you think you're above reproach let me get through reading this list and you're going to find out that these things can happen to you very quickly the first is a chronic illness or disability or a spouse of a spouse when you say for better for worse in sickness and in health you that's what it means and then something happens and then, you, then you're, you're like, one person feels like, well, I'm stuck with this person now. What do I do with them? And so somebody gets hurt or somebody gets Alzheimer's or somebody has a car accident or whatever. You are with that person. And so many times people just can't take it and they, and they bail out. False beliefs about open marriages. I heard a, a stripper on television the other day talking about her husband. That one shocked me. I was like, well, I wonder what he thinks about you dancing in front of other people with nudity. That, that was a weird one. So if you play with fire, you will get burned. Tension and conflict, no matter what it is, financial responsibilities. You, you've never had a fight with your wife or your husband until you're in financial trouble. And then you understand how difficult. Value conflicts. If Not being funny, I'm being serious. Republican marries a Democrat. You see, the scripture talks about being unequally yoked. 
or a person who, listen, the Bible says unequally yoked. Both people can believe, be believers. One is mature in their faith, the other was never grown because they don't care. That's unequally yoked. And it can be very difficult. Uh, or or uh, I know Christian couples where the wife says, my body, my choice. The husband's like, the Bible doesn't say that. It causes problems. And so there's tension. There's value conflicts. Long periods of separation. I want to tell you, I know you may have a job and it takes you away periodically. That's fine. But if you spend a lot of time away from home, you're making yourself very vulnerable. Uh, career problems. It, it can bring about stress in the family. Critical life issues. Illness, accident, death, uprooted geographically when you're moved away from your support systems and other people that you know that you love that can say, hey, what's going on right there? You, you need people to help you with that. Substance abuse. And now the reason I'm mentioning all of these things is so that when I get to this next section, you're going to understand why I've mentioned these things. Individual character, a predisposition to adultery. There's some guys who are just flirts. They always have been. And uh, now, a, a guy being nice and hugging people or being kind, that's fine. But there's some people who just flirt just a little bit too far. Uh, women can do that. Girls know how to get their way. They learn very early. We're not, as believers, we're not allowed to do that. Uh, someone's needs not being met, whether that's real or perceived. So, one of the things that, I, you see, your, your mom and dad are going to have a hard time talking to you about this. But when I counsel these young couples... I talk about things like this. That's why it's so important to go through these things. If, if you have a, a, and pastor has no other way to tell you this, but here's one person who is very active, good libido. Here's another person that just wants a boyfriend. That's not marriage. And so you're, you, you have, someone has a, a perceived or real, whether it's not, their needs are not being met. This is a part of it. And while I'm there, let me tell you this. Nobody will satisfy your needs like Jesus Christ. And, and let me just say this. No matter what it is, whether it's food, alcohol, intimacy, whatever it is, no amount of human satisfaction will last more than several hours. Just saying. False expectations. You have these young girls that grew up watching movies in Hollywood, and they think, boy, this is what life is all about. And then they get married, and they wake up, and they find out this guy's got bad breath, and he really can destroy a bathroom. And they're like, this joker is so nasty, I just want him to live outside. It's my job as your pastor to knock the gloss off that thing before you ever get there. We talk about everything, false needs, uh, uh, inability to resist uh, you know, new opportunities. A person just gets into things they shouldn't. Anger at your partner. Some people have adulterous relationships out of anger. They're mad at their spouse. They're just no longer in love, real or perceived. Let me say this to you. You, you say, well, that's just selfish. Let me tell you, if you take your spouse for granted, you're going to be living by yourself one day. I'm just telling you, I don't care how much they love Jesus. If you ignore them, if you mistreat them, if you take them, you take them advantage of them, you disrespect them, you never say thank you, and you just expect them to do everything for you, you're going to be by yourself one day. He or she will pack it up and go somewhere else. Just telling you. Alcohol and drug addiction. I know a lot of people who have lived in pure H-E double hockey stick because they have lived with a person with addictions. It is, it is horrible. It's heart-wrenching. People grow apart. 
I try to see if the young couples are compatible. This person likes the outdoors. This person likes inside. That's okay for now, and you'll make it 10 years, but in some point in time in life, that's going to come to bite you. You have to learn to be an outside person if you're not, and you like that you have, the other has to learn to be an inside person if they're not. Uh, we, we grow apart. A desire to make your mate jealous. Never, never, never make your mate jealous. It, it, you'll go too far. It'll be an accident. You won't know. Failure or rejection on any front. This is why I say encourage your spouse. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Love them, encourage, especially when they fail. We live in a generation now that thinks that failure, uh, everybody gets a participation trophy and we're all, we never fail. And God made you this way. That's not biblical. I'm a sinner and I made myself this way by sinning and God wants to transform me not transition me. He wants to transform me. He wants me to deal with my failure and become a better person because of it. Not everybody wins. We lose sometimes. We do. And you know what? It's part of life. Unexpected success uh, makes you a target. Uh, Charles Billingsley tells a story. His dad was a pastor, and, and Charles Billingsley is probably one of the greatest singers of Christian music ever. I just love him. He was at uh, Liberty uh, Church. He was just a great, great guy. He said he was at a pastor's conference. He got in the elevator, and then all of a sudden, these two ladies got in, and they were talking about one of the pastors that was at the conference. And they were planning to seduce the pastor. They were making plans. They didn't know who Charles Billingsley was. And Charles Billingsley said to himself, he said, this went straight into my heart. I began to think, here is this pastor who's out there that these women are going to go after and try to seduce him because they liked him, and the pastor was unaware of the devil's schemes. And you know what he did? He had to go warn the pastor and say, here's what happened when I was in the elevator. And so we, unexpected success, it makes you a target. And so then sometimes a lack of conflict resolution skills. Uh, people just, just they, they meet up in problems, and, and if you get married, you're going to have some problems. It just causes problems. It just does. And so uh, harmless flirting, putting yourself in a position to fail, emotional attachments. Uh, if you have emotional attachment against someone who's not your spouse, you need to control that. You need to get away from that, as a matter of fact. Failure to maintain religious convictions. And then lastly, again, I'm going to end where I started. Failure to think that it could happen to you. And so Paul says in verse 10 and 11, notice this. I command the married not I but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried. Paul gets, so Paul goes back to the original. Jesus said this. Jesus talked to them about this. Uh, a word to the unmarried in verse number 8. I say this to the unmarried and to the widows. It is good for them if they remain as I am, but if they do not have self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Very simple passage. Paul says, listen, if you've lost your spouse, it's okay to remarry. I think you're better off, Paul says, by, by staying single. But if you, you need to, go ahead and be married. But don't marry the first person that comes along. 
Even people who are wise and are 60 and 70 years old lose their spouse. They'll marry the first person that comes along that pays them attention. Why? Because they're lonely. And they make terrible, terrible decisions. Don't do that. And so and as we, as we kind of funnel our way and, and, and make our way through this, I want, I want the reason that I read all of those things, let, let me say this before I go through and just mention the rest of the, this chapter and let you see it. You remember in 1912, Jesus says, For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were born that way by men. And others have renounced faith because of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says the one who can accept this should accept it. Now here's some questions. This is I, not the Lord. Did you hear me? I don't have a passage of scripture for this. But obviously Paul was dealing with other situations than what Jesus actually spoke to us about when he gave us the exception clause that for no other reason divorce except for adultery. But my question has always been, we know what adultery is, but what are the other issues? Today, I would give you a list of things that are worse than adultery. What do we do with those today? How do we handle those things? Well, I don't have a scripture to help you with that. So all I can do is sit across from you and pray what Romans 8 says, Holy Spirit, pray for us. Holy Spirit, lead us. Let me give you some examples so you'll understand what Pastor is saying. I don't want to go beyond Scripture, but I want to ask you a question. What about physical abuse? I want to tell you, I have never counseled a woman to stay in a physically abusive relationship, and I'm not going to. Jesus didn't deal with that. But if you'll go back and look at the context to the exception clause, the disciples asked Jesus, what about a man who divorces a wife for any and every reason? Jesus addressed that. That was the context. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it was from the beginning. Jesus says, only for marital unfaithfulness. And then he didn't give us anything else. That was it. And if there's any one thing in the scripture I could ask the Lord about, I'd say, Lord, why didn't you keep talking about that? (laughs) Because I've got to be honest with you. I think that there's some things that are worse than a divorce. What about if your husband comes home and he gets arrested and you find out he's a child abuser or something of that nature? Are you going to stay with him? Well, that would fall under the case of adultery, but it's unfaithfulness. Unfaithful. What if he's a, a, a drug addict and you just come find out about it? When I worked at the hospital, the police came one day and got one of our nurses and took him away. His wife worked in the, right across. He worked in one area of the hospital. She worked in the emergency room, and they had to go down there and tell this man's wife, your husband just got arrested. He's been stealing morphine out of the, out of the drug cabinet. She had no idea. Now, she stayed with her husband, and they went through it just like you saw today on the the video this morning. That's good. But you know what? That's unfaithfulness. I mean, some people aren't going to make it through that. What if, let me ask you this, what if one spouse lives for Christ, and then the other one decides, as a believer, I'm just going to go buck wild. I'm going through my, my midlife crisis, and I'm going to go crazy. And the person puts their foot down and says, you're not doing that in this house. Well, I'll just leave. What did I tell you when we started this? You can't control what another person does. And Paul says, Paul deals with this. If it's an unbeliever, you can look. Look in verse 13. Also, if a woman has an unbelieving husband, or you can flip that. The husband has an unbelieving wife. They're willing to live together. She must not leave her husband. So Paul says, if you have a believer and an unbeliever, and the unbeliever wants to leave, Paul says, let them go. 
And I'm under the assumption that if Paul says, let them go, we're to live in peace, then you're free to remarry. And I'm going to say that no matter what happens, we've all failed. And if you remarry, and if that marriage is not biblical, you ask God to forgive you and you move on. That's all you can do. Sometimes living holy and righteous lives for one person and the other person's not will cause some of the greatest strain in your marriage. One person takes a stand on the scripture and the other says, not doing that. Do you know how many people that I've known that, uh, 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 that one was a tither and the other one said, I ain't giving my money to that church? Deep, deep problems that have arisen in the marriage. Paul, and why is this? Why are these answers so hard to, to get? Because, as I told you last week, Jesus makes it very plain that from heaven's standpoint, he is, our, he is the groom, we are the bride. And he will never divorce us no matter what we do. Now, wow. You see, we're, and Jesus says, for those of you who can accept this, you accept it. For those of you who can't, you can't. But I just want to tell you, there are certain things that I will live with and certain things I will not live with. At some point, righteousness takes over. And Jesus makes it very, very clear this is going to happen. From heaven's standpoint, just think of what a God we have. Just think of what a God we have. That he will never leave me or forsake me no matter what I do. He will always let me come back. Now, that's the standard. But I want to tell you, there's been times I've had to take ladies and say, you have to leave that house. You cannot stay there. He's going to harm you or your children. And if I'm wrong by that, I'm just wrong. And I'll take what I think and have prayed through as I go to heaven and say, Lord, I did the best I could with the, with the word that I literally have. Amen? Now, I got to quit. I wanted to, to do some of the rest. I want to uh, do this right, so I'm just going to wait till next week and deal with some of these extra, extra things. And I want to encourage our folks that are single. That, that, that just, I mean, God has a word for you. I mean, he really does. And your life is valuable where you are, but I want to caution you. Don't jump the gun until you get the right person. If you're married and you have a good marriage right now and you've had trouble, say amen. It, it, I mean, I, I love the, we had a, a Greek fellowship one night after Greek class, we were going through this awesome class. <laughs> it was in the summertime. We went through 32 weeks of Greek in eight weeks. It's a, it, I tell you, it's the greatest accomplishment I've ever had in my life. But it was pass or fail, and I thought, I just do Greek for eight weeks in the summer, and then I can cut some time out on my time at seminary. So I, I did it, but... We had a little fellowship one night, and all the guys bring their wives and everything. We all had a good time, and uh, one couple said this. We went around, and we were talking about, and our professor was encouraging us, and here's what, here's what they said. We've never had a disagreement or fight in our marriage. Well, when the laughter can't calm down, <laughs> it's like they were... Ken and Barbie, they were real perfect and everything and perfect in every way and disgusting. We've never had an argument. 
well, my professor was Huel Mosley. I loved Huel. He was actually did the music as well, too, there. And Huel said, uh, uh, I got a call from them the next day. They were so upset. <laughs> the husband said, we had the worst fight on the way home <laughs> that you can ever imagine. <laughs> if you have never had an argument with your wife, you are in la-la land. You've never had an argument with your husband. You are not living in the real world. And so this, this, this idea of marriage is, uh, is really is kind of tough. So uh, I love the, the lady who talked about getting married. She says, well, I, I've been married a few times. And the guy says, well, how long have you been married? He said, many times. She said, well, three or four times. She said, I, I married this, this guy who uh, was a banker. Married a banker, yep. And then we divorced. She said, then I married this guy who was in show business, and that didn't work out. And I married this, I married this guy uh, who was a funeral director, and the other guy was a, a undertaker. He's like, good night. Why'd you marry all those people? She said, well, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get me ready, and four to go. So, <laughs> so. yeah. That really didn't fit, but I just wanted to do it. So. All right, pastor's going to pray for you today and pray for your marriage. And, and I just pray, love one another, love one another, love one another. If you've been in a tough spot and you got past it, keep moving, baby, keep moving. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. If there's been unfaithfulness, you can overcome it. You saw that at the beginning. And if things have gone south and they never return, you're not worthless. If I'm right, the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, you, if you'll look, let me, let me close with this right here. I meant to do this. If you'll if you look in your Bible, look, here's, here's what's happening, really. I meant to say this to you in, in chapter 7. Let me, let me show you these two remarks that Paul makes. Um, look at verse 29. And I say this, brothers, the time is limited. Right in the middle of all this about marriage and everything else, look in 31b. For the world in its current form is passing away. See, Paul is saying, honor God with your body, honor God with your marriage, honor God with your singleness. Paul even deals with slaves. He said, if you're a slave, he said, whatever situation you're in, stay that way. I really believe that Paul, Paul literally says, if you're not married, don't get married. If you're married, don't get divorced. If you're single, I think Paul was really thinking, in a few weeks, Jesus was coming. I, I really do. I think he was thinking, time's limited. Make the most of every opportunity. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll bless.